This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Shall we begin? is used by the navigators of the Spacing Guild to find safe paths between the stars. Without spice, interstellar travel is impossible, making it by far the most valuable substance in the universe. The Emperor has spoken. House Atreides shall immediately take control of Arrakis and serve as its steward. Do you accept? We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts! And on that note, BFM 89.9, it is 7.39 and you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Atreides, Atreides and your Atreides. Atreides, Atreides. yeah. Atreides. Um, Well, with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin and our Supercut today is all about book adaptations. It felt correct after a week in which we actually talked about two um, because we started off with, um, well, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula and then... Yesterday was All Quiet on the Western Front, and both are adapted from books. And, you know, it's tricky. It can go one of two ways, so we thought there would be a lot to talk about. Actually, an overwhelming number of films and TV shows are book adaptations, and sometimes we don't even realise they are. Um, And unless you're not just a reader, but a reader who reads many, many things, it's very easy to overlook how how much um, how much Hollywood owes to books and literature. I'm so on the fence about book adaptations, partly because I've had my expectations raised to like astronomical proportions and then have them dashed to the ground so many times. But I still, I still admit that every time a book that I deeply love, um, you know, there's news that it's going to make its way to the big screen, I get excited and I, I perpetually hope. Do you read the book knowing that the movie or the TV show is coming out or do you wait until you watch Ooh, the movie or tough. TV show? I try to. I think I'm 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 a book nerd, so sometimes I'm like I should read the book first, but not for everything, right? But not for everything, mm. lah. Mm. Not for instance, Shadow and Bone. Mm. Yeah, because mm. I feel like it's something you do only for the biggins. Like Dune, I did. So we just played Dune. I I didn't read the entire series, but I read about three quarters of the way through the first book, so that I at least got the vibe of the of the story. Huh. Because I, I ask, because I actively avoid the book if I know that the movie or the TV show is coming out. Like, I make it a decision to never read the book. Even if I, let's say I'm in a, in a bookstore um, and I see a book and it has one of those, um, it's not a sticker, but it's those things, the stickers that are printed on the cover that says, uh, as seen on Netflix or now a hit show on Netflix, I'll be like, oh, okay, so 
Thanks for the tip. Um, and now I'm going to watch it on Netflix or whatever streaming service. And never it's on, read it. And I'm never buying you. Like, you're, <laughs> you're left on the shelf, um, which is interesting, right? I mean, that's why I asked. Like, different people but, want to know different things. But do you do it because of spoilers or because you don't want to be doing the mental gymnastics and the comparisons? The spoilers one. So that's the main thing. But mental gymnastics also. Because I've read um, Chronicles of Narnia. And the movies, although I love the movies, I know that the movies can be so much more. Uh, and the movies are not even complete for that reason, right? The books are, have, have so, so much going for them. Um, and I don't want that happening to all the movies that I watch. This is my thing, severance. So I think that <laughs> what we need to do is sever book self from movie self. And then you're fine. Or, or not hmm. movie self, but show self, whatever it may be. Um, because... I've had to really work on that. Unlike you, Sharmila, I feel no joy. I do not enjoy <laughs> adaptations. When there's something coming our way that is adapted from a book I love, I'm like, ah, ah. And then I go out and like look at the stars and you know try not to try not to feel that sort of existential crush of horror, which oh my usually God. comes. No, because I'm like, there's so many ways this can go wrong, and and there's so many ways this can go wrong for so many people. Is the other part of it because what you might consider the most important part of the book to someone else might be a footnote. What someone else thinks is like the ultimate crucial thing. You know, the point is it differs from person to person. So over time, what I've tried to do is treat the the book, like, background reading, but not bring my fandom into it. Severance. I don't have a lift, mm. um, but maybe crossing the... We don't even have turnstiles anymore. Um, crossing the ticket <laughs> QR beep is the moment where I'm like, Pup, it's over. So we reviewed we reviewed Pony and Selvan recently, right? Yeah. And that's, of course, um, famously based on a, uh, a series of books in Dhammer. And... Um, I didn't read the books, even though I actually really wanted to before watching the movie. And then I have a good friend who did. And I'm actually kind of glad I didn't. And my friend told me, in fact, that she wished she hadn't read it right before watching the movie because it, it kept her exactly in that headspace of what did they leave out? What did they keep in? Why is this changed? Why is this not happening? This person doesn't look like the, the way they're supposed yeah. to. Yeah. And, and I had initially thought maybe I'll read the book before the second part comes out. But I feel like now I'm not going to and I'm going to leave it for after I've watched because I enjoyed the movie. I genuinely did. I don't want to be hung up on details. So that's the other thing, right? The time uh, between you reading the book and when the movie comes out. Yes. Um, like I've seen there's so many people who uh, went back and read uh, Dune because this is the first part and then the second part's coming out. So they wanted to catch up on the book. Um, I So I honestly don't know if that's a good idea or not. I think if you read something as a kid or as a teenager and then like maybe 10 years 15 years later there's a movie adaptation or there's a tv show that sentimental value is sort of not as strong or that that memory is not as strong so you have leeway for you know liberties taken or, like you remember broad strokes but you don't mm. remember the color of the eyes and the sweep of the hair or yeah, whatever the specifics the specifics are lost right um i think that's important though I, I i don't think reading a book right before something comes out is a good idea most likely i mean most of all because they're not gonna they're not gonna get everything right in the movie most of the time i agree with that except with dune for example mm. where dune is a tough one because i i don't know what it's actually like to go in knowing nothing um having having mm. read the dune series by frank herbert so i'm not sure but i felt like i did a lot of explaining to my cinema companion after the fact and when that happened i was glad that i'd actually read the book and so with something that is very complex, although it appears that Pony and Selvin is similar and then that didn't really work out, um, 
it could be argued that maybe knowing something about the book or understanding the world in which you've been dropped into is helpful. But I think, as with everything else with adaptations, double-edged sword, I just wanted to get to some messages because they mention, um, firstly, Dune, but also some some adaptations that we didn't clip, uh, we didn't choose to clip because we've done it so much. It's not out of a lack of love or a lack of respect. It's out of just, we don't want you guys to think we've watched like two movies. Um, so <laughs> we have this from Alim, who says, the best Lord of the Rings trilogy, Me Earl and the Dying Girl, The Help, Dune, The Godfather. Worst, Paper Towns, Chronicles of Narnia, Divergent series, The Hobbit, Twilight. Um, my favourites overall, Lord of the Rings, Hands Down, Dune and The Godfather. Uh, Suli also says Lord of the Rings. Uh, Shanarin says the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Hands Down Perfection. I think any list of best book adaptations would 100% have The Lord of the Rings and The Godfather. And I think for very, very good reasons. I think both of those are almost near-perfect adaptations that don't necessarily feel the need to be slavish to the source material, but still manage somehow to be perfect. I was literally going to ask, like, are they, though, like, good... Not The Godfather, but Lord of the Rings. (laughs) um, Like, is it a good adaptation or is it good because it's so long? Uh, Because the movies feel like, like an actual... There's no other epic like the lord of the rings so it feels like they they put in as much as they could from the books but then if you go back to the books there's so much that's left out and there's so much there not so much that has changed but they've taken liberties and creative license with some of the things so tom bombadil right do Mm -hmm. we want tom bombadil um in my view no I, i don't think that we needed him in the film um i I think that what works for me with Lord of the Rings is not so much how much they managed to fit in, but how much of the world that they managed to capture and the spirit of the book, um, the the sort of essential essence of the, the entire story and that feeling that you really were in Middle-earth, that you really were in the Shire, that you really were making your way to Mordor. All of that stuff, um, all of that stuff, I think, was crystallized in such a way that it worked so well, even then. Am I going to be this person finding flaw in everything today? Possibly. Maybe not if I haven't read it. <laughs> that, that'll be the bonus, guys. If I haven't read it, I'm not going to you say anything. You might have read every movie we're clipping, though. Every book. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, I was just going to bring up Arwen. Because um, mm-hmm. that one famously, you know, a lot of book fans were like, what the heck is going on with this character and her arc? So, yeah, I, I think I don't count it against Lord of the Rings. Um, but I wouldn't say hands down perfection just for that reason. I wonder also whether the same thing that you said, Arvin, about um, Arvin, Arvin. I almost called you Arvin. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's an honor. It's she's, a glow. She's it's the glow. It's the glow. It's the yeah. glow. Um, I was going to say that the distance that a reader gets from when they read the book to when they watch the movie, that perhaps there's something to be said for the collective cultural distance as well, because the Lord of the Rings books came out way before the movies actually came out. Um, Sure, there are people who would have read it quite recently, but I think the collective sense that everything has to be exactly what the books were may have shifted. And you also have so many audience members who are only consuming the movie alone. And I think that helps. You know what I think, though? That collective sense... um I don't think they would have liked it if The Hobbit was a single movie. As much as people say that they don't like the trilogy nature of the thing and the stretching of the book and how it just went on and on, I think if you had made The Hobbit a single two-hour film or two-and-a-half-hour film, that would have been even worse. Which is interesting, right? Now that you have so much, you're able to say like, oh, we don't need like three movies and we can condense it. But then if you'd given them too little, it would have been nothing compared to Lord of the Rings and especially going back to their mythology and stuff. So in some cases... 
um, the books or rather the movies on their own become such greats that people sometimes forget that they were adapted from books or mm. they kind of stand up side by side. And I think that our next clip is actually an example of that. Um, but tell us, do you like book adaptations? Basically, do you like it when films are adapted from books? Do you have some favourites? Do you have some fails? Um, you can WhatsApp us or send us a voice note, 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. There was me, that is Alex, and my three droogs, that is Pete, Georgie and Dim. And we sat in the Corova milk bar trying to make up our Razudox what to do with the evening. The Corova milk bar sold milk plus, which is what we were drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultra-violence. Be free-minded. BFM 89.9. Hi, Georgie. Aren't you going to say hello? Oh, come on, bucko. Don't you want a balloon? I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers. My dad said so. Very wise of your dad, Georgie. Very wise indeed. I, Georgie, am Pennywise, the dancing clown. You are Georgie. So now we know each other. <laughs> Can you rest? I guess so. I gotta go. Go? Without this? My goat! Exactly. Go on, kiddo. Take it. Oh, you want it, don't you, Georgie? Oh, of course you do. And there's cotton candy and rides and all sorts of surprises down here. And balloons, too. All colors. Do they float? Oh, yes. They float. And when you're down here with me, you float too! BFM 89.9, it is 7.52. You are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila, Arvin, off, off screen? No, off mic, our producer Tasha. And I bring this up because um, during that clip, 50% of the studio did not have headphones on because it's just too horrible. <laughs> I, I cannot do it. Um, and I apologize. I got that clip. I'm I mean, sorry. I know it traumatized you as well, yeah. so you don't have to apologize. I actually had to watch it. Ah, you see? Um, so... We're talking today about adaptations from books to screen, and we want to hear your favourites or some that you think totally failed. Um, you can let us know what they are by WhatsApping us or sending us a voice note, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, we have this on Twitter from Tanku Ferhad, who says, I actually wanted to list down a bunch, but I got lazy. Instead, I will posit one author. Stephen King, did any of his adaptations come out bad? Dr. Sleep, maybe. Well, actually, he's got some pretty bad adaptations. He la. hates a lot of yeah, the adaptations. Pet Cemetery is pretty bad. Dark mm. Tower is terrible. But it, though, especially the old one, actually, you know, the new one's really good too. It's such a great adaptation. Also, a rare case of a film that got. So I watched the film first 
very young and then read the book much too young. Um, I've said this before on our book show, um, which is one of the dangers of... How old were you again? Because I was 13. I was about 12. Ah, yes. Yeah. Way, way too young. young. Way, way too, too young, young for yeah. the book, which is a lot more explicit than the movie. Oh, so that's an interesting point because I wanted to say that um, Stephen King's books specifically um, make a case for something that one medium is dated, which are the books, and the other medium is able to be fluid and change itself according to the times. There's a lot of stuff in Stephen King's books that should not be put on screen. Um, that is, that is, it wasn't. It was weird for the for that time. Um, and in 2022, it's even weirder. A lot of it involves kids, um, and I don't know how he put that into his book. So I guess it's also it's good that these adaptations change accordingly. I don't know how much he approves of these changes and these adaptations, but you're able to make it for an audience that you know is more accessible and it's more appropriate without too much censorship i mean in some ways the the stephen king question is the the perfect encapsulation of how sometimes what an author says their book is about is not what the filmmaker or audience wants to see. And Mm. um, it's not even about the explicit stuff. I'm thinking about the things that were um, adaptations that were considered really successful and famous, but that he himself um, personally really disliked, which is, of course, The Shining, any number of them, but The Shining (laughs) in particular, because to him, The Shining was not about what Stanley Kubrick thought it was about. And so... It's a huge difference. And it's funny that there have been so many fails um, because Stephen King actually writes in quite a cinematic way. His dialogue actually sounds like you could lift it word for word in most cases and people would sound like they like it was written in a screenplay. So it's curious as to why it doesn't land. I don't know whether it's because um, some of it is just too high concept, although Killer Clown works. So I don't know. I think people don't understand, or, or it's very difficult to capture that balance he has between pulp horror and actual existential questions. And like in Stanley Kubrick's case, he goes to existential questions. Um, and then in the case of some other Others, they lean heavily into the horror. Um, and some moods, I think, are just impossible to capture on screen. But also, um, even though some of the movies flop, they all look visually amazing. That's one thing about Stephen King adaptations. Like even the TV shows, uh, even the new It, the old It, um, they all have a weird visual aesthetic to them that's very, very, very pleasing. I don't know if that's because he's super descriptive about everything that he writes. Like he is a long-winded um, writer, right? Like he goes on and on about how something looks and how something sounds and how something, how something smells. And um, cinematic in the sense that yeah. he's, he describes things very uh, vividly. Yeah. And his books translate really well, visually at least, on the big screen, I think. Well, before we move on, um, a few other Stephen King things. By the way, I want to stand up for Doctor Sleep, which is a good film. <laughs> I, I don't mm. I don't necessarily think Doctor Sleep watched was yet a two chicken. It is a great movie. I, I well, great is strong, but I, I really liked it. I liked the book, I liked the film as well. And he approved of it, right? Yes, he did. Yeah. Um and then Rohizwan says The Shawshank Redemption, also Stephen King, best movie ever. Great. Great pick. Um, to add to that, Green Mile, Stand By Me, all of which are non-horror Stephen King adaptations. Mm-hmm. Fancy says, the best book to film adaptation, The Green Mile, captured the tragic essence of the thin line between damnation and salvation, guilty and innocent, uh, and just how cruel people could be, criminals and law officers alike. Well, he is the most adapted author of all time. So I think there's little surprise there. Mm -hmm. Also, the first It, I think, is one of the the best modern horror films. The second one, not so much. But the first It, the new one, the remake, is really, really good. Yes, I agree. I, I find it so hard to use the word good 
in relation to Scary. it. Yeah, because I, I struggle so much. Um, I watched it kind of with my eyes averted mm-hmm. and, mm. you know, um, my sister's hands on the side of my face trying to force my face forward, which I thought was cruel. But, you know... <laughs> Seems it's fitting for the film, though, somehow. Yes. Um, I, I wonder whether there is a very specific age bracket in which it is best slash worst for you to watch it. Because mm. I know that it has adult... Uh, adult terrors in it, but I think that it's particularly horrifying when you watch it as like a pre-10. Yes, and then when you're too young, I don't think it's actually as scary. So I, I think there has to be a certain age. And then when you re-watch, you just remember that you used to be scared and you're scared all over again. Maybe that's why you split it in two. So one's for the kids and one's for the adults. It's like terror for all, for all ages. <laughs> oh, the uh, horror Stephen of it King. all. Yes. Um, we are talking today about book-to-screen adaptations and we want to hear uh, what are some of your favourite movies that were successfully adapted? What are some of the biggest fails, in your opinion? You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Banish fraudulent manoeuvres. BFM 89.9. It's like diamonds. You're beautiful. Beautiful. This is the skin of a killer, Bill. I'm a killer. I don't believe that. It's because you believe a lie. Camouflage. I'm the world's most dangerous predator. Everything about me invites you in. My voice, my face, even my smell. As if you could fight me off. I'm designed to kill. I don't care. I've killed people before. It doesn't matter. I wanted to kill you. I've never wanted human's blood so much in my life. I trust you. Why did you hate me so much when we met? I did. Only for making me want you so badly. I still don't know if I can control myself. I know you can. BFM 89.9. It is 8.08 and you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila Arvin. It is our supercut. And tonight we're talking about book adaptations, adaptations that make their way from the page to the big screen or the small screen. Uh, we want to hear some of your favourites or some of your biggest, why did they do that to me? I hate it forever. Um, you know, we accept all. You can WhatsApp us or send us a voice note, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. What you just heard there, two very good actors in Twilight, although it doesn't sound like it. Man, I mean, listening to the clip without the visual, what is that voice? Like, who are you talking about? <laughs> actually, more Robert Pattinson than, than Kristen Stewart, but... These are actually really good actors. I think we should be amazed at how good their work is now. When is the last time you watched Twilight? You know, I actually watch them more than I care to admit. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the visuals are a lot worse, like with the audio. It's like it, it, it's, it, it spares you a bit when you only hear the sound. Um, I, I don't know if you could bottle cringe into a movie. I think that would be it. It's one of the cringiest things I've seen. Um, and it also makes me wonder if some things should never be adapted. I know that it's a it's a massive phenomenon. Ah, no, but the Twilight movies are exactly what the Twilight books are, having read the books as well. This is exactly the tone. So if you love the books, 
I think you'd love the movie, as legions of fans will say. I don't think you have to love the books to love the movie because mm. I really, mm. really enjoy the Twilight trilogy and <laughs> I've talked about it many times. Great cheer-up movies. Like, I, I don't... It almost makes this... This makes it sound like I'm mocking it, but I'm not. I watch it with a strange level of sincerity, but I do find it very, very funny. <laughs> like, I'm not... Same. I'm not sure how exactly they managed to encapsulate that. I mean... Whenever we clip Twilight and we clip it a fair amount of times, you've got your choices, right? You've got like diamond skin, you've got holding nose when she walks in, you've got like spider monkey, which is a personal favourite. You've got Michael Shannon laughing. Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen, my God. Michael Shannon laughing would be terrifying. <laughs> Michael Sheen and laughing. Incredible. Yes, yes. yes. Mm. Michael Shannon doing the Michael Sheen Twilight laugh would be just <laughs> something else. But that's next week's Supercut. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That is, <laughs> that in is fact, true. the premise yeah. of our Supercut next week. Um, Boyi, by, by the way, says, cringe Twilight, haha. <laughs> but, you know, look, I, I think Twilight gets a bad rap the same way many teen things get a bad rap in the sense. I think it's deeply enjoyable if you know what it says on the tin and that's what you want. But is that what it says? So, I mean, like, you know, for fans of Twilight, like, and there are, like, many, there are lots of fans of Twilight, right? Like, like honest, actual fans. Um, is it a true romantic story? Or is it, like, I like it ironically? Because it's, it's, so, it's so corny and over the top and teenage level stuff. Not for the fans of the books, I think. And, hmm. and you know, we've been talking about what makes a good adaptation? Actually, Twilight is a really faithful adaptation of the books. Um, mm. it, it, they've kept to almost everything, including the weird baby and the weird name. <laughs> Renesme. <laughs> Renesme. <laughs> Never forget Renesme. Um, okay, we have this from Tulin, who says, Stardust! Close second, then Twilight! Because obviously, I will fight anyone who doesn't love the adaptation. So, you were saying earlier, Sharmila, about legions of fans? Yeah, see? I mean, I, I don't want to antagonize Zulin, uh, but Stardust, 100% agree. I love that movie. It's very, it's quite different from the book, but I love hmm. both equally. We can't talk about Twilight and not talk about Fifty Shades. Oh, God. Right? Um, so, Carrie actually says, maybe the whole Fifty Shades series, it was a decent adaptation, I feel, though some may beg to differ. Hmm. I actually agree. So here's the thing. Um, I think books like Twilight, Fifty Shades, Dan Brown books, when we say the adaptations are bad, actually what we mean is the adaptations are exactly what the books are, in that they do the books justice. So a lot of complaints came in saying that the movies are not as raunchy as the books, and the books were way raunchier. So I have this thing in which I think that sex in books can never really be adapted on screen for yes. a variety of reasons. Um, partly because half the time, intimacy as written in books is really explicit. Like even when they're not Fifty Shades or even when they're not um, marketed as, say, erotica, um, if there is a sex scene in the book, it will often go much further than what you would be able to do on screen. And so because of that, I, I don't know how you do raunch at a Fifty Shades level without just making pornography, which is really what, <laughs> what it was headed towards. I agree. I, I don't think that you could achieve the level of detail that was in the Fifty Shades book on screen and still make it a general, well, not a general viewing, but yeah, not veering into pornography territory. So I have two questions. Um, I've seen the first Twilight. I haven't seen all the other movies. I've not seen any Fifty Shades. So you haven't seen Renesmee? No, I've not seen No, Ren Michael Renesmee. Sheen in his glory, actually. <laughs> no, not that either. 
I Should I would sh- recommend skipping Fifty Shades. Okay. But finishing the Twilight movies. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I went to the cinema for all of them. I so, think they'll mm, make you mm. happy. They make me so happy. It, it's <laughs> it's kind of inexplicable. I try not to overuse because I'm worried that one day the magic will wear off and I'll watch it and I'll just be like, oh, this isn't giving me the usual like endorphin rush that mm. I get. But like for right now, yeah, I, I would I would also say Twilight. It's, it's also going to be so weird watching it now knowing that he's Batman. I was thinking that listening to the clip because I was thinking of his Batman voice. Yeah. And then this voice. He looks very different, um, although mm. they're both very pale. So there is there is that. <laughs> There's enough of a distinction. Uh, Carrie's, by the way, added, the movie adaptation for My Sister's Keeper by Jodie Jody Picoult was no good because they changed the ending. And that is such a classic book adaptation conundrum, by the way. This idea of the ending, as well as what you consider... I don't know, the big moments or the big twist. Yes, um, I I find myself very bothered about stuff like that. So it's one thing to quibble over, like, you know, did they change the colour of the hair? Did this person not actually do that at that point? But sometimes when they change like an entire plot point or when they change the direction of the story, that tends to annoy me. So I'm always conflicted about this, right? Um, Black Landsman. Um, I love the book, love the movie, love the movie way more. Um, written by Ron Stallworth. So about an African-American police officer who infiltrated the KKK. The book is like a documentation of the events that took place. Spike Lee came in and gave it so much more drama, gave it so many more explosions, uh, so many more action set pieces. And I'm thinking that if they did a faithful adaptation of the book and they didn't change the ending and the ending is completely new and, and completely, none of it was real. Like he, he made that all of that up in the third act, uh, most of it up in the third act. I'm thinking it wouldn't have been a good movie. So I'm glad that Spike Lee sort of dramatized or Hollywoodized uh, this book specifically, even though both of them work perfectly well. I don't think that book works as a movie, an adaptation at least. So, um, yeah. Is something what what is considered an adaptation then? Mm. Yeah, I mean, like what, it's just lifting an idea and then doing something else an adaptation. Well, that's a point that's being raised by Munif, who says World War Z was weird for me. It's not a bad zombie movie. It's quite awesome actually, but I loathe it because it is not at all like the book, which I adored. It's like why even use the name for the movie? The book and movie barely have anything in common apart from the name. Munif adds, "Believe me, Malaysian novels are even scarier when describing sex scenes. It oddly always <laughs> involves food and fruit metaphors. It's a good thing these will never get filmed, probably." Oh my god! Except. Perhaps an animation. Um, anyway, yeah, train of thought. Don't want to see it. No, don't know why I said it. Um, I'm so glad you brought up World War Z, Munif. Um, and I was thinking actually about uh, Blade Runner and how mm. do androids dream of electric sheep, which is what it's based on by Philip K. Dick, actually are two completely different stories with just like the premise being similar. But the movie goes in a completely different direction, uh, tells its own story in very specific ways. Um I don't mind it at all. I love the I love the I love the book, but I also genuinely love the movie. So maybe sometimes it's a case of again distance, but in that it's actually doing something really great when it goes in a different direction. And then you have two pieces of entertainment, right? Like two pieces mm. of content that you can enjoy. Um, I think in the case of Blade Runner, it was so good that they didn't compare it or they don't actually call it an, an adaptation. 
World War Z. World War Z is interesting. I've always, I've always wanted to see a version of that movie that got shot before they cut it down into the movie that it was. Because apparently that version was way closer to the book, but the studio didn't think that it would work for a mass audience. Well, I Am Legend is the same. The book mm. is so different from the movie. I like the movie, um, but I sometimes feel like this could have been... Actually, only the premise is similar. I was going to say, is the premise or, yeah. or the concept. Um, so we do also have a voice note. Um, this is Randy. Game of Thrones was extremely difficult to read. And the movies, the, the series probably has uh, 40% of the book. And I think that's a good example of uh, not reading. <laughs> Uh, this is a clip, uh, or rather a voice note, that we could only play on Popcorn Culture and never for Buy the Book, right? <laughs> this is a good example of not <laughs> reading. Um, well, Game of Thrones is interesting uh, because because I think we return again to the Lord of the Rings question about what is good to leave out of things, whether it's still considered an a good adaptation well no whether or not the goodness of an adaptation is based on its loyalty to the original book and Game of Thrones is also interesting because again we had the whole last two seasons not being based on anything at all except a direction from the original author um I or think, so everybody keeps yeah, saying. Right. Yeah. So, but we don't know because, you know, George R. R. Martin hasn't written the books yet. Um, but He's never going to write that no, book. No, stop not, it. Don't say that. <laughs> um, I do think, though, that what the Game of Thrones TV show has done is, one, um, a lot of people are not going to continue reading the books. Um, and then I also think that it's made it impossible for people who like the show to start reading the books because you kind of have a direction and you don't know whether you want to go down that path. And the books are, as Randy pointed out, very, very detailed and complex. So how does that work? Because in, in the case of Game of Thrones, right, obviously they couldn't wait for him to finish the, the, the final book um, and then make the seasons because the show was already going. So then in that case it kind of doesn't become an adaptation anymore, right? It's like loosely based on, or characters based on, the same way you would adapt comic books, um, character created by so-and-so-and-so. <laughs> yeah, but then what happens to the books? Because now there's more books to be written. That's, that's the question to ask him, like <laughs> George R. R. Martin, because he, he's never going to finish those books. You, I, I feel that you're just being unnecessarily truthful in a way that I don't enjoy, all right? Um, Stargazer, by the way, says uh, Love House of the Dragon, which is based on George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood. Oh, I have a theory about this. So Fire and Blood, unlike the Game of Thrones books, is a lot more spare, right? It's it's a sort of a, um, a maester telling the story of the Targaryen's family. And so the details are really sort of not very specific. We don't have the quarter page dedicated to what people are eating. Exactly. Right. Which is why I think the House of the Dragon series works so well because we just have a character that the show is free to expand however it wants. And build up upon. Yeah. But that's also a risk, right? Because if HBO wants to do their own thing like they did with season with the final season of Game of Thrones, then it could go the same way. Well, is that what's going to happen with the, the, the Jon Snow spin-off and spin -off, the, how, yeah. the White Walker spin-off and all of these things that I'm not sure I'm excited about? Mm -hmm. Let's briefly talk about graphic novels or comics. So not necessarily comic book adaptations because I don't think we can handle the the 
CUs, the various CUs within this. Yes, that's right, within this space. Um, but we do have a clip, I think, to set up the next bit of our discussion. Here it is. Voila! In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran, cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. This visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi, now vacant, vanished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta held as a votive not in vain, for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous. <laughs> Verily, this vicious soise of verbiage veers most verbose, so let me simply add that it's my very good honour to meet you, and you may call me V. So that was, of course, a bit of V for Vendetta, which um, Eric on Twitter says, I love V for Vendetta, the movie, the graphic novel, not so much. Ooh. Ooh, yeah, I know. Big shout. Interesting. I know. Um, so I think graphic novels, you know, as opposed to comics, because those stories are a lot more sort of sprawling, these sort of single issue graphic novels are really interesting because um, as we see with Watchmen, which I know Lynn abhors, um, it actually gives you a, a, the way something should look. So you I mean something should be copied verbatim on screen yes, with no imagination I or like, verb. I like <laughs> Zack Snyder's Watchmen with some reservations precisely because it looks exactly the way the comic looked. Like there are literal to, panels yeah. that he replicates mm. on he screen. He managed to cast it very well. Yes. Yeah. Um, which can go either way. But I think it's a really interesting way to think about adaptations. My severance thing happens with graphic novels and comics because I know for a fact that there is no way they are going to be able to translate that onto the big screen. This happens for like yeah, comic arcs, Civil War and stuff. It, it's, you know, loosely loosely based on. Um, v for Vendetta is interesting because the movie is really good. I love, love, love the movie. The book makes him a lot better, I feel, which is why the severance has to come in. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to enjoy the movie as much. I think the graphic novel is, is far, far better. Oh, I watched... The, so I think it helped that I watched the movie first. Mm. Uh, whereas with Watchmen, I'd read it first and then I watched the movie. So I, I think sometimes with graphic novels also, it can go either way, um, which imprinted on you first. I think so. I think graphic novels in general will always be very difficult. Um, I think of, for example, The Sandman and how... So many people have gone absolutely insane over how death looks. And and I know that there is the question of race here, but it isn't even about race. It's actually about eyeliner. There's one symbol <laughs> that is on her face that only shows up later in the graphic novels. But of course, if you're a reader of the books, you then assume that she always had it. And they went to town, um, you know, attacking Neil Gaiman, attacking the, the actress, attacking basically anyone involved in production saying you made her look wrong. That wouldn't happen necessarily, I think, with a book. You wouldn't be like, where's the ankh? Um, you know, but in the case of 
a, a character that people regard as iconic. Um, like V, for instance, mm. people have very, very strong feelings about how they should look. I mean, if you changed V's mask oh, okay. and it yeah. didn't look like the way it did in the yeah. graphic novel, that would be a huge deal. Uh, that's it. But with books, though, we did get that kind of um, pushback, particularly with a very young Daniel Radcliffe, because of the colour of his eyes. People kept mm. going on and on about how the colour of his eyes are wrong. It's a big deal. Lily has green eyes. He's supposed to have green eyes. Um, and that was a huge deal for a while. I was going to say that we saw that same reaction with uh, Rings of Power. Like the amount of discussions online, people saying that, you know, this shouldn't be a certain way or the armor shouldn't look this way or this scale, scale, Mm. uh, this character shouldn't show up in the second age or first age or whatever. It became, I think it became like borderline toxic, even though there are no visuals to accompany it other than a few sketches here and there. Um, Their interpretations, they went full on and, you know, said that it was completely wrong the way some things were done. Well, that's it. Sometimes when they get it right, like with um, Sandman and how Mor- uh, Morpheus looks on screen or mm. even uh, like uh, Boyd Holbrook and the Corinthian, when a character looks exactly the way you imagined them uh, when you were reading them, that's amazing. I think for a reader, that can be so rewarding. Who do you guys think is the best looking character that's been adapted? Because I'm thinking of like Rorschach, who looks amazing. Alan mm. Rickman as Snape. I'm sure there are others, but comes to mind immediately. Hmm. Hmm. The greasy curtain of hair. Yeah. 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 Um, but with Snape, so I, I disagree with that only because um, the thing that makes Snape is his voice, I think. Mm. For me. And the voice comes from Alan Rickman, not from the book. Not from the book, that's yeah, true. So now it's I a bit, hear Alan you know. Rickman's voice when I read the lines on the page. Yes, because yeah. he's perfect. And But that is, I think, more of a confluence rather than having found that that person who just absolutely looks correct. Because um, what is his name? The man who is in so many... Patrick Wilson. I was going to say who is in so many bad films despite <laughs> being quite good. Um, I think Patrick Wilson is a perfect night owl. He looks exactly he is. like yeah. frame for frame, line for line. He looks exactly like the night owl of the books, which is part of my problem with the whole <laughs> adaptation. But um, yeah, anyway, we also have um, Rish coming in to say, I watched It, the old one, when I was seven. Seven. That movie, <laughs> that movie pretty much scarred me for a long time and I couldn't even go to McDonald's until a much, much, much later age. It even put the fear of clowns in me till now and rightfully so. You see anything dressed like that at night, run like your life depends on it. Um, Percy Jackson is one of the most wasted adaptations in my opinion, which is kind of sad because the books itself were, were very good. I'm waiting for someone or a studio to pick up the Iron Druid Chronicles and make it into a movie or series. Also, when it comes to comic book adaptations, MCU is still the best. And since they package it as just another multiverse some deviations from the main comics can be overlooked 100% agreed on Percy Jackson I'm very excited to see hopefully whether the TV series that's coming up is better well David is saying um, I don't think this counts but the upcoming Percy Jackson looks quite promising not the old ones they were trash (laughs) (laughs) actually a whole bunch of YA novels didn't make it like proper to the the screen like how many of them Immortal Engines is another one and you know the tricky thing there is that YA is written with a very specific desire to keep you hooked on series to series mm. or book to mm. book within the series. The whole thing is premised on that. And so I think it's it's tough when you're not a fan of the book, but then you become a fan of the movie. Like like Immortal Engines, for example, where you're like, oh, I really love, I don't remember the, the character names, <laughs> um, you know, and I wonder what's going to happen to them. And then it just doesn't make it. And you could read the books, but as we've established, some people never do, and that's fine. 
Actually, speaking of children's books or teen books, um, I was thinking of Howl's Moving Castle and how, again, that's an example of something that's very different from the source material because the book is by Diana Wynne-Jones, movies by Miyazaki and it's animated, but again, completely works. So I think sometimes all it takes is a, a little bit of all it takes, I say, as if it's so easy. Um, I think what it takes is actually a genuine love of what you're trying to do rather than just making an adaptation because it's going to bring in money and viewers. Oh, that reminds me of um can we talk about michael crichton yes because he's, always he is such a he's a unique case right because he's a writer and but he's also a producer film producer um he works actively on the projects that are being adapted he's like he does like multiple things he did multiple things at the same time um we always say jurassic park is like an almost perfect movie or a perfect movie it's very different from the books. Like, he, he, the book is more philosophical. He goes in deep with the science and stuff. Uh, the movie is more surface level and more action horror-ish. If they were to follow the books properly, mm. Ian Malcolm wouldn't make it very long. No. No. And Hammond would be very unlikable. Extremely unlikable. Some people wouldn't die on the toilet. No. no. Yeah. yeah. You know, so there are a lot of iconic things that, that would go missing. But the spirit of the book... I think, is is well captured by the movie. Yeah, but mm. does that count when we're talking about sci-fi? That's the thing. I don't know whether a lot of people would even process Jurassic Park as sci-fi, right? Whereas Michael Crichton's books are almost, you know, they're, they're very much sci-fi. They're purely sci-fi. Yeah. I don't know. Like, So do we want to see a faithful adaptation? Like, do we want to see in an alternate universe, like another Jurassic Park that is not this perfect Jurassic Park? No, I don't think so. I think no, this was right? the perfect Jurassic Park movie. Ian mm. Malcolm wouldn't make it. <laughs> I, I don't know what more you want me to say. So That's the answer. Yeah, just no. Um, HX says, speaking of adaptations, loved how they adopt... How do we say smog? Do we say smog or do we say smog? I say smog. Benedict Cumberbatch says smog, does he not? He does. And, and apparently it's in contrast to Peter Jackson saying smog. Let's go smog. Yeah, it's more smog, comfortable in yeah. the mouth. Um, so HX says, speaking of adaptations, loved how they adapted Smaug's intro speech from The Hobbit. Um, the bad example of this going wrong are the Oompa Loompas. That's a great point, by the way. Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, a good graphic novel, bad movie, such a waste. I also want to watch Mouse Adapted One Day and Wolverine is great, great casting. Um, cosine Mouse Adaptation. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Here we go. Is one movie that I admit is terrible and yet will watch over and over again. How many times have we brought this up? I like know. it's this and it's Van Helsing. It's, it's just the <laughs> it's two movies, movies that we are obviously going to throw back to at some point. At some point, we they're have so to. bad, you guys. They're I enjoy so them tremendously. <laughs> same. Yeah. Same. I'm not sure what it is. I mean, admittedly, they, they are really terrible. They are also well cast, though. League of Extraordinary yes. Gentlemen is actually very well cast. They're not even short movies that you can get by. They're like two plus hours of time. Guys, can we talk about the Oompa Loompas and whether mm. there's ever such a thing as a good Oompa Loompa on screen and whether maybe it's iconic. They're iconic for a reason. They've got their little song. They've got their, their whole, you know, chapter. But are they unadaptable in a way that isn't horribly racist or just absurd and unenjoyable. So what Arvind said about how some Stephen King stuff feels dated at a certain point. Inappropriate. Yeah, and inappropriate. <laughs> I feel like the Oompa Loompas might be verging onto that. But do you have a chocolate factory without the Oompa Loompas? No. Would it help if they were 
Apparently, animation is my thing today. Would it help if they were animated? Would it help if they were not Shyamala, humanoid? Animated slaves are still slaves. No, but what if they were not humanoid? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't actually. I think they're irredeemable in today's landscape. La. So unless you made them like a, like a Eminem looking, not Eminem, yeah, but no, like I Eminem. thought you meant Eminem. No, not, not, like, not, not Slim Shady. <laughs> weirdly, weirdly, I was imagining like Eminem looking things, like uh. not, not humanoid. But chocolate inspired, the like the saying, Eminem mascot. Okay, the way we're saying Eminem, which we said so many times, it's like like they're paying us. Um, it's still very unclear to me whether we're talking about the rapper or the candy. So can we just the candy? Say, all right, the candy voiced by the rapper. <gasps> oh gosh, yeah. And then they could sing. they rap. They can rap yeah. the songs. We've saved it. We've saved the Oompa Loompas I never want to watch this. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm this glad that the, we workshop this. Timothy no. Chalamet version that's yeah. coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet and Marshall Mathers III. This is the thing that we've always wanted to see. Um, so we're talking today about adaptations or things that have been adapted from page to screen and whether they work or don't work. We want to hear your favourites and fails. You can send us a voice note and WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, We've said earlier that there are some movies that transcend the book. And again, I think that this is another example of that. Here is a little bit of The Devil Wears Prada. So you don't read Runway? Uh, no. And before today, you had never heard of me? No. And you have no style or sense of fashion? Well, um, I think that depends on what you're... No, no. That wasn't a question. Um, I was editor-in-chief of the Daily Northwestern. I I also um, won a national competition for college journalists with my series on the janitor's union, which exposed the exploitation of... (laughs) Yeah, you know, okay. You're right. I don't fit in here. I am not skinny or glamorous and... I don't know that much about fashion, but I'm smart. I learn fast, and I will work All right, very hard. I've got hard. the exclusive on the Cavalli for Gwyneth, but the problem is with that huge feathered headdress that she's wearing, she looks like she's working the main stage at the Golden Nugget. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your time. Who is that sad little person? Are we doing a before and after piece I don't know about? Break from monotony. BFM 89.9. Since the moment I clapped eyes on you, what could be more reasonable than to marry you? We'd kill each other. Nonsense. Neither of us can keep our temper. I can, unless provoked. We're both stupidly stubborn, especially you. We'd only quarrel. I wouldn't. You can't even propose without quarreling. (laughs) Joe. Dear Joe, I swear I'll be a saint. I'll let you win every argument. (laughs) I'll take care of you and your family. Daddy, please don't ask me. Daddy, I'm desperately sorry. I do care for you. With all of my heart, you're my dearest friend. I just can't go be a wife. You say you won't, but... I won't. One day, you'll meet some man, a good man, and you will love him tremendously. 
and you will live and die for it. Please. You will. And I'll be hanged if I stand by and watch. PFM 89.9, it is 8.38, and you're listening to Popcorn Culture. It is our supercut with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin, and we're talking about our favourite on-screen adaptations, or, or book adaptations, rather. And, I mean, we can't talk about it without mentioning Little Women, right? There have been so many occasions, um, but they're, they're two big ones. So that's a little bit from 1994 um, yeah. with Winona Ryder and... Christian Bale. Uh, but of course, there's been the recent one as well. You know, I was going to say, most books don't even get one good adaptation and Little Women's gotten two. I think that's a huge win in itself. Um, listening to that clip, it made me think about how certain stories um, certain stories are so imminently filmable and they work so well on screen when you get the right actors to play the right roles and uh, you just lean into what the book actually is rather than trying to change it too much or change the time uh, the time or the politics or whatever it is that you're trying to do so i i've not seen the the older one the one from 94 right um i've only seen the newer one is the 94 one a better adaptation because my take on the new one was that it's a tribute to the book and the older movies and the older adaptations yes. because there, there was like a tv movie and a tv show i think like a mini series if not mistaken so i felt like that was a, it was sort of like a showcase of sorts i think that's such a great way to think about it um because i was thinking about the the famous Saoirse Ronan as Joe March uh, monologue that she gets to talk about, about being a woman and, and just wanting mm. more, but also so afraid of being alone. That's not in the book. Um, that's not in the book. That's not in this movie. It is an unspoken truth of being Joe March and um, all Joe March loving girls know that to be the truth about the character and it fits great. It, it's, it's such a lovely, well-written, well-acted scene, but it's not from the book. Um, and so... I think maybe it's possible that 1990... Actually, what they are, I think, are perfect adaptations for the times in which they were shot. That's exactly what mm. I was thinking. That Because in 1994, there was so much talk about how it was such a progressive um, way of adapting Little Women, the novel. And then we had the same kind of conversation with the recent, recent one as well. Uh, but I completely agree that because of that scene... Um, and because of the ending of Greta Gerwig's Little Women, it's definitely... Oh, yes, the ending. Yeah, so it's definitely a, a, a tribute and almost like a, a re-examination of Little Women than it is a straight adaptation, which I love, though. I wonder what it is about the book that makes it so, I wouldn't say easily adaptable, but it's... Like you said, it doesn't have a bad adaptation. Like, they all work. They all seem to work in some way. They're all pretty famous, even the new one. I think it's the simultaneous uh, relatability and specificity. It's relatable because it's a family story. The characters are all distinct. We all want to be or know people like them. Um, but at the same time, it's very specific to the time in which it was set. And so you get to tell like a period story, regardless mm. of which period you are making it in. Uh, but the story itself is so relatable and kind of timeless. I was going to bring up the awful Netflix adaptation of Anne, with, Anne of Green Gables, Anne with an E, um, and how much I hated it so deeply. And I realized that I hated it because it tries, it goes too far in, in, uh, in that direction of let's make this more relevant, let's make it darker, let's mm. give it a depth that we don't think it had. Because I think then it ignores that 
the source material was doing a very specific thing. Um, and you don't need to fix things that are already working really well. Then you kind of detach yourself from the source material yeah. completely, right? Yeah, yeah. We have a message from Mary Mary who says, Cloud Atlas, but I've been shamed many times for nominating this. No shame, Mary. Cloud Atlas is good. We must believe that. Um, call me by Except your name. Except if you're Arvin. It is good. He just needs to rewatch it. It's okay, Mary. We're fine. Um, call me by your name. And then in that Chalamet vein, Little Women, the Greta Gerwig version. Nice. I love Call Me By Your Name. I've never read the book, though. I do understand that the book is also very good. I'll finish watching Cloud Atlas one day, <laughs> someday. A, no pressure. <laughs> or read the book, maybe. Um, sure. <laughs> we also have, uh, let's see, a series of unfortunate events coming up twice. Uh, Julian saying the Netflix version, uh, Bridge the Terabithia, Dune, Godfather, duh, uh, Evening Mist and Drive My Car, all right as well. Diary of a Wimpy Kid was meh. Um, Shamil says a series of unfortunate events, the movie and series were both enjoyable. Um, although I think if it's more bleak, it would replicate that dread you get from reading the book, the good entertaining kind of bleak. I completely agree. I love the series of unfortunate events. But um, it needs to be bleaker. Netflix series. Yeah, it needs to be bleaker. But it's obviously aimed also at children. Um, and so I think they didn't want to go too dark. Bridget Terabithia is a great shout. Um, I love that movie. And I, I'm, I, I'm so sad that it doesn't get the shine that it should. Is that because it's kind of it's kind of traumatizing? It's traumatizing. It's super yes. traumatizing, like yeah. unexpectedly. I walked into a cinema not knowing what it was because mm. I'd never read the book and I was bereft by the end. Same. I think it's time for speed round, you guys. Are you ready? Because we have so many messages that we haven't actually gotten to. Um, let's start with Rice and Fishball, who says, does manga turn into anime count? And I think it definitely does. Mm -hmm. uh, Inuyasha is my favorite, Nobita's Dinosaur. The best is Rurouni Kenshin, um, Trust and Betrayal. The worst, Rurouni Kenshin, Reflections. Uh, Jane Austen, the best was Pride and Prejudice, 95. Mr. Darcy, Swimming Fully Clothed. Sense and Sensibility, 1995. Oh, Colonel Brandon, Be Still My Heart. The worst, Emma, 2020. And he fell asleep watching it. Mr. Darcy, Colonel Brandon, co-sign, Austin, always watchable. Also fell asleep watching Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Emma full stop. Full stop. Emma with a full stop, <laughs> yeah. Um, Amirul says The Martian. Oh, see, hmm. I never read The Martian, um, but I, I, I can... I like the movie so much. This is the flip of the situation. I found the movie boring, so I'm not going to check out the book. Huh. You found the movie boring? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I, I love The Martian. Yeah, interesting. Mm. I found it kind of like, I was like, oh, okay, it's meh. So much so that I actually got really excited about reading his next book, which we mm. featured on By the Book, and now mm. I'm super excited for that adaptation. Mm -hmm. Ruquan says his Dark Materials is really underrated. Agreed. Not the movie, the TV show. The TV show. Naren says Harry Potter hands down. Are we... Check out our Harry Potter show. We, we talked about it a lot. Um, Raja Imran says Ready Player One. Interesting. Oh, I forgot that that was a book. Yes, it was. I, I like the book way more. I don't think it works as a movie at all. It's like one big advertisement with too many characters. You don't like adaptations, actually, I've realized. Because uh -huh. I was going <laughs> to yeah. say, I've never... <laughs> right? Yeah. Because what happens now is... He, I'm going to talk as if Arvin's not here. What happens now is he avoids reading it to prevent So that himself. he doesn't hate the adaptation. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. See, because I've not read Ready Player One and I like the movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Same. I think it's one of those books that just <laughs> needs you to imagine things. Like if you translate it, that's it's, just, all, that's all it's, books. it's way too many things happening. Like don't adapt it. Okay, that's all books. So I think that you've come up with a system that works really well for you. And I'm, I'm glad that we heard about it. Uh, Sunflower Inn says, hands down, Annihilation. Uh, I love that movie. Mm -hmm. I haven't read the book partly because scared. Um, Usha says, Atonement. 
Oh, interesting. Because Atonement, the book, is actually quite different in tone from the movie. Atonement is very different, mm. but the movie is so handsome. The and movie, I think that yeah, that's what looks yeah. great. Uh, it's well cast as well. Um, Ofa says, Love Rosie and Where Rainbows End. Oh, Love Rosie is actually quite lovely. Hmm, haven't heard about Where Rainbows End. Ah, yeah, me hmm. neither. Um, okay, two contrasting opinions on Life of Pi. Elin, I think, thinks it's great. Uh, Josh, meanwhile, says, Absolutely love the book and the descriptiveness and the detail. The movie was just meh and so disappointing. I expected so much more. Hey, I love Life of Pi, the movie. I'm feeling a bit attacked. I will say, though, that the movie cannot capture the ambiguity of the book, which is something that's uh, quite a common problem. It's like a visual cinematic experience yeah, more than anything. But the yeah. philosophy is difficult to capture on screen. Mm. Manupriyan says, on the subject of adaptations, Aragon, the movie was a massive disappointment. The books were amazing. But here's the thing. I watched the movie first before reading the books. Ah, so it can yeah. happen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it can. It can happen. Um, Yi Heng says the Millennium Trilogy. Now, um, I, I just want to be clear because the Millennium Trilogy is different from the Dragon Story Trilogy or something. Um, in other words, the Millennium Trilogy is the reference to the Swedish version. I was wondering about yeah. that because the, the, the English versions didn't really adapt all three books. No, they, they have... There are three films, are there not? But they're not part but of the trilogy. The first is, yeah, and only yeah. the first is by David Fincher and mm-hmm. then the others, yeah. Um, but I mean, I've heard so much about it and about Numi Rapaz um, playing the central character that it's quite exciting. Uh, Anon says Avatar, not the blue one. <laughs> um, Chris, Lord of the Rings, Stardust, Dune, The Last Unicorn, all of which we spoke about, all of which very good. Uh, Tani, by the way, asks a question. Um, has Have we discussed the adaptation of Dune? We have. Uh, we, we talked about it earlier in the show and I think we're all agreed that it is just very good. I think it's very good. It certainly makes me want to see the next one. Yeah, no, I, I've only seen the movie, not read the book, but cannot wait to see the next one. Tex says, best adaptation, Lord of the Rings. Worst adaptation, all the Dan Brown movies. <laughs> I like Tom Hanks, but he's just not Robert Langdon. Oh, I'd forgotten all the not my Robert Langdon arguments. <laughs> to be fair, he looks nothing like no, the Robert Langdon nothing like the as described yeah, yeah. at all. Is it the weird hair? Um, no, the weird hair is part of the description, actually. <laughs> I, I think that um, Robert Langdon... Okay. I think, is meant to be an idealised Dan Brown. Um, He is kind of Dan Brown plus plus. And so... Supposed to be like professorial hunky. Yes. Which Tom Hanks certainly is not. Ah, okay. So... Makes sense. Yeah. With with respect to, I guess, everybody involved in that mildly insulting <laughs> interlude. Um, Felipe says, A Clockwork Orange, the book was perfectly illustrated into a movie, scary, dysfunctional and depressed. Uh, BG says, I like all the Agatha Christie adaptations. That's interesting because people are so divided on the Kenneth Branagh adaptations. I enjoyed them. The first movie was good. The first, Second oh, movie... Sorry, yes, the train one was good. The boat one, not quite. <laughs> I think that they're fun enough. You know, they're fun, they're yeah. fun enough. And they capture that vibe. Um, the star-studded yeah. uh, the star-studded approach. Aduna says, To Kill a Mockingbird, Gregory Peck is Atticus Finch, even though Dill looked nothing as described in the book. Completely agree. It's a perfect adaptation. Mm-hmm. Cameron made me laugh. Silence of the Lambs, the only book I read that have to do with the movie. I didn't even finish reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It's a good adaptation, actually. That that one's very solid. Mm-hmm. Um, Edwin says, apart from fantasy, sci-fi and horror, I also like military novels from Tom Clancy. Um, so, for example, Hunt of Red October, The Hunt for the Red October, uh, Patriot Game, Clear clear Present Danger, and The Sum of All Fears. Uh, also worth mentioning, First Blood, which was adapted from a novel starring Sylvester Stallone. 
did not know that about First Blood. But also, thanks for that reminder of how many Tom Clancy movies have been made into actually pretty good films. Really good films. Also, that, that info nugget on Rambo. Um, yeah. The more you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, so many different Jack Ryans over the years. Yes. Yeah. Actually, and very different in approach. Uh, Najmi says, Edge of Tomorrow based on the manga and they changed the ending, but I love it more than the original. Probably one of, or maybe the only, good Hollywood adaptation of Japanese manga. That's such a good point. I love Edge of Tomorrow. Um, I've been wanting to read the manga, actually. Is The Matrix an adaptation of Ghost in a Shell? Uh, nah. No? Nah. Inspired no? by. Yeah. Inspired by. Yeah. I, I think that it's so separate, I think. Um, meanwhile, Alex says, ooh, okay. All right. Not sure as mentioned earlier, but Crazy Rich Asians, the books uh, are supposedly satirical, especially for locals. It feels like the film completely missed the point. Well, I don't know, because the author so heartily co-signed on the movie that I Yeah, don't... but the author can also miss the point, That's right? true, mm. yeah. I think it's very dif- difficult when you're satirizing wealth. Um, the line between making fun of it and turning it aspirational, which I think Crazy Rich Asians doesn't quite land. Um, Hannah says, Hunger Games, although I wish the movies focused on the politics written in the books because the movie kind of promoted the romance part more. To me, it's kind of softens the main theme, but overall still good. Hmm. This is one of the f- one of the main movies where I decided not to read the book because I like the, <laughs> I like the movies so much. I'm like I'm going to wait. The first book is really really good. I will. I've mm. always stood by that. We've talked about this a lot. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence makes Katniss bearable. Yes, um, Katniss in the books is tough. It's really Games, tough. Hunger Games is one of those movies that actually improves on the books. Interesting. B Ray says Rod Dahl's BFG. Oh, oh, have not seen. Um. I don't know whether they're talking about the animated one or the recent Spielberg one. Yeah, I'm not but sure either. both are really quite sweet. Oh, there are two. Yeah. Oh. HX says, You guys also really need to watch Haunting of Hill House if you haven't. Flanagan did a terrific job. Mm-hmm. Also, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosity has some pretty good adaptations. Um, HX, we... I think these are great recommendations. I've heard a lot of good things. A lot of us are cowards. Mm, I watched one... <laughs> the first. I watched the first episode on Cabinet of Curiosities. Stopped. Haven't continued. Ooh, I will. Is that bad? It's it's terrifying. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like Mike Flanagan. I mean, I spoke about Doctor Sleep, but I, I I keep working. I don't know. I haven't even managed like Midnight Mass, and that's apparently least scary. Yeah. Yeah. Midnight Club also okay. I'm about three quarters of the way through. Not not too bad. You sent us a scary message. Yeah, earlier. that was early on. La. I, I I passed the hump. Now I'm okay. No. I know what to expect. Hill House is is definitely up there. I think it's the scariest. Followed by Bly Manor. We hey. need to, you need to put down that list, the Flanagan list. Now that there's a Flanagan verse. Yeah, the Arvin's Flanagan order verse. of scariness. <laughs> Nat, um, with something that I forgot and I'm so glad someone brought up. High Fidelity. Love John Cusack's portrayal of Rob Gordon. Nick Hornby doesn't write books like that anymore. Hashtag unpopular opinion. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a book. <gasps> what? It's yeah. a great book. Yeah. yeah it, I, had no the book is great. I had no idea it's an adaptation. It's a great book, but the movie is fantastic. I love the movie. I have no issues mm. whatsoever with I it. I love both equally. I Jack Black like haranguing people <laughs> over music is, is a favorite thing. Um, about a Boy is also a good adaptation, I think, of a Hornby. Yeah, I was just going to say, about, about a Boy is also... Um, Really worth reading if you haven't. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I don't know why, <laughs> why I'm just like, I read, read books. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to convince him. It's not going to happen. The, it's sticker, quite clear. the stickers on the cover, the ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. Joe says, Harry Potter till now, I can watch again and again. Under the Tuscan Sun is a lovely adaptation. I just wanted to go to Tuscany. The Count of Monte Cristo is also pretty good. I've not read any of those except Harry Potter. 
same. <laughs> I've I, not even read Harry Potter. I've like seen the movies. You said same, and I wasn't sure. <laughs> I think Count of Monte Cristo um, is such a great book to adapt, as in like it, it's such a ripe book to uh, to make simply because it's such a dramatic thing. The, the construction of it all is so dramatic. Well, I feel that way about Three Musketeers. And, ah, I, and, yes, and, and yes. how great, Amazing like book. every time there's a Three Musketeers movie, I get so excited because like, how could they mess that up? And they never get it right. They never do. They never That's get true. it right. And they always <laughs> cast quite well. Yes. That's the other mm. thing. The crazy thing is you would think with the Three Musketeers that if you got four people in place that were more or less correct, you're good. Yeah. But instead, it's almost, it's always like the musketeers themselves. You're like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. look correct. And then the movie's just so wrong. It's strange. Yeah. It's such an easy template. Right. It's it's there. The script is in the book. Friendship, betrayal. It's like, it's all packed in there. Um, okay, just to close off with this list from Jesper. Uh, so some of the mentions include The Waltons, um, Little House on the Prairie, Sweet Valley High, very glad someone brought it up, nice. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Howard the Duck, Charlotte's Web and the Babe movies, which are off a piece, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, a mention of the number of movies that have been made based on The Wizard of Oz. Um, there's also Kramer versus Kramer. Um, ooh, let's see. I'm trying to look for the ones that we haven't mentioned yet. The Graduate. Mystic River, mm-hmm. uh, the Thomas Harris movies, which we talked about earlier, Jackie Brown, um, and then Nanny McPhee, <laughs> which we've, <laughs> we talked about a few of that type of film, but we didn't actually mention that. Uh, the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Birdman, um, Precious, ooh, all the Frankensteins and Draculas, Romeo and Juliet, and then a bunch of Shakespeare adaptations. Shakespeare is its whole thing and yeah. we're completely running out of time but I also get very excited about Shakespeare adaptations because they're meant to be plays so they work mm. great as movies and it's quite fun when you do like a like a Baz Luhrmann and a yeah. Romeo and Juliet where the, the script is actually um, Shakespearean but the setting is modern because then you really get to see it in context or 10 things where you 10 oh, yeah, things yeah, I hate yeah. about yeah. you where you just yeah. flip the story I mean use the story but you flip everything into being modern also love the mention of Mystic River which is such an underrated movie I think yeah, actually, right. people don't talk about people that movie about enough, movie. but it's a yeah. really good film. It's, it's so tough. good. I think the reason why is it's tough. And it's tough, and it's tough in the same reason that something like uh, Sleepers, which is also based on a book, is, oh, is like... Oh, Sleepers is excellent, but yes, yeah, so tough. very tough. tough. Yeah. That's the thing. So it's like, it's great to watch. You feel pulled into things, but you also kind of regret watching it almost. So yeah. it can be difficult. Um, all right. We have been talking today about adaptations from page to screen, um, basically from books to films or shows. If you have favourites that we didn't get to, that you still want to share, um, that number to WhatsApp is 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. And of course, you can always write to us as well at movies at bfm.my. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Popcorn Culture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.